all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Yeah, I'm real. I didn't know what to do. I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Welcome. I just had no idea what to do, so I just did a thing. You did it really fast. Yes, know? I did. Yeah. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us all bad things at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things. Four for four. I did it all in one breath almost. Yes, you did. <sighs> yes. Yes. So what are you boozing on tonight? Ooh, you got me. I did. Quite Bright, a Belgian-inspired wheat ale by Bell's Brewery mm. of Comstock, Michigan. Oh. Now Michigan always makes me think of our listener, Nicole. Comstock is the uh, the villain in uh, one of the Bioshock games. Yes, yes, that's Father true. Father Comstock. May that's I uh, have a sip? Sure. Because I did get one for myself, but I'm mm-hmm. not quite quite finished. No, you're still at your national with local. my delicious <laughs> national local beer. Mm. That's not bad at all. Yeah. yeah. It says, "As the sun sets, we look for a light that shines through the night, refreshing it, refreshing and glistening with fruit notes, an aurora borealis of sorts. Ah. Quite bright is just right." So are they saying, like, we're going to trip if we drink too many of these? Like, are we going to see the... The Aurora Borealis? Um, I hope to see the Aurora Borealis um, for my 40th birthday trip planned in a couple years to uh, Svalbard, an island close to the North Pole. Yes. Mm -hmm. You won't be going. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. You're not interested in visiting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to (laughs) go. I would rather go to a beach in, like, the Mediterranean. Well, that's why you're meeting me and Sarah in Portugal. Yes. Yeah. That's where we're going to it's go like, to warm up afterwards. Like, I grew up where it's cold. Mm-hmm. Like, like to me, a vacation means you go where it's warm. Well, see, I grew that, up where it's warm. What, and that's what it will always mean. I grew up where it's warm. Therefore, vacation looks different to me. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes. A tale of two vacations. <laughs> so... By the time this episode comes out, the bills will be five and one. (laughs) Because you I'm confident in saying that. Are getting to go to KC. To Kansas City. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, you say, uh hey hey, hey, Kansas City. There's there's a song, an old rock song rock (laughs) fifties rock song called Kansas City, hey, hey, hey. I'm I'm just gonna take your word for it. I'm not going to bust that one out. The Beavis did a cover of it. <laughs> but uh, we already know where we're going Saturday night There's because there's a a Bill's Backers Bar that's oh, in every town, every everywhere. And they're all fire traps. Well, this one is a... Uh, well, no, this one so is that a... That was just uh, the Nashville one. That was, yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is apparently... You, you remember that place? Well, remember, it's still there. Uh-huh. That place, I think it's called Poor in Durham, where you get a bracelet and you pick yes. what... Uh-huh. That's where that's what the Bills backers oh, are in nice. Kansas City. Is, okay. No, not oh nice. Oh, like the last thing you want is a bunch of Bills fans that's like, being able to pour limitless their own beer. beer yeah. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's limitless. They it's make not. you go to recharge. They do. Yeah. Yes. So they can check to make sure yeah. they're not over. There will be a bunch of people falling down mm-hmm. at that place. I can tell you that. 
<laughs> What's worse than a Bills fan? A drunk Bills fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a Tom Brady fan? Is there fan? a, is there yeah, a, a Patriots drunk fan? Bills fan? Yeah. Uh, a what? I'm is sorry? there a non-drunk Bills fan? <laughs> that kind of comes with the deal. I mean, there's like probably Seems like it. probably like five of them. Can you imagine like the um, the sober Bills fan club? There's like two members. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can't get anybody to come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would suck. It's just this guy. It's just Dennis showing up every week. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, no, he's not sober because he hit Nancy's car. Well, whatever. Like, it would be, <laughs> so it would be worse. <laughs> he hit Nancy's car drunk driving, remember? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> tire mark. I believe we had pictures of the tire mark. Tire tracks just to have our own in case. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, if, it's, if this is going civil, like, we took pictures too. <laughs> Fun neighborhood uh, stuff. Anyway, so in celebration, mm-hmm. celebration. Of, of football. You, you don't seem very confident in this. Well, like it's a disaster, so. Yeah. Is this the one we discussed last week at the end? No, so because oh. uh, I was going to do the death of Newt Rockney. Mm-hmm. Then I realized Newt Rockney died in a plane crash, and you're about to go on a plane. Get on a plane. Yeah, we'll do that so, next week. So I only mildly tweaked the uh the location oh and i tweaked the mode of transportation okay so this is the story of the purdue wreck okay okay on october 31st halloween 1903 oh wow so we're talking way back yes we're talking when like a train is this a train two trains Uh, collided in indianapolis indiana killing 17 people including 14 members of the 17 members of the Purdue University football team. Jeez. Yeah. It basically wiped out their football team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Primary sources are Hammer and Rails, Indiana University, the Indianapolis Journal, Indy Star, the Purdue Exponent, Purdue University, Texas A&M University, the United States Government Archives, and Wikipedia. I am trying to guess where... I know Purdue is in mm. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man... Get back to me on that one. I'm trying well, to. We're going to sh- talk about it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, yeah. I want to guess before you say. Okay. It. Yeah. All right. Um, so I thought this was interesting because Newt Rockney coached at Notre Dame. He did. This is Purdue. They're not, not that all that far. far. They're in the yeah. same state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not like they're next door to each no. other, but they're still not not far from there, each other. I'm sure there is the faction of each state that, or that state that is, we're the mm-hmm. Notre Dame fans, we're right, the Purdue right. fans, because mm-hmm. yep. Purdue for. Up until the millennium, anyway, mm-hmm. was a powerhouse at college football. Not on mm-hmm. the same level of as Notre Dame, but yeah. it's not like like they were chumps either. Mm-hmm. They won some pretty big bowl games and have had some pretty successful NFL players. So, well, I learned while writing this that Purdue is P U R D U E, mm-hmm. not P E R. That's nope. the chicken. That <laughs> yep, is. Um, uh, and Newt Rockney. Who coached at Notre Dame, obviously very famously, the Gipper. I think he died in 31 or something, so I'm going ago. a bit wow. even farther back. I'm going back almost 120 years. Yes, yes we are. For this one, so. <laughs> We're talking about the fastest mode of transportation is a train. At the time, yes. Uh-huh. And that will come into play, so. um, So history, history corner. Because in the U.S., Purdue has a long and storied history, because our, quote, long history basically goes back to the Civil War. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, and of course, there's been a lot of history since, but we're going way back. So 
Purdue University is in Springfield. There's a Springfield, Illinois. There's probably I a Springfield. Have, I have Indiana. no. I could okay. not literally think of another town besides West Bloomington, Lafayette, and, uh, Indiana. All I can think of Bloomington was, will come up to. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is where Indiana is. It's IU. Mm-hmm. You and got it. Indianapolis was all I could think of. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Indiana. So uh, <laughs> West Lafayette, Indiana is kind of in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. So it's in the Midwest, which is also like, in the like, middle like, of nowhere. Like, like kind of Indiana. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so more or like, less. Like just... <laughs> Aside from Indianapolis, basically. I mean, I... I spent a few years of my childhood in Mount Vernon, Indiana, which was very southern mm. Indiana, near Evansville. Um, oh, yeah, that's another town. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's in Evansville? Something is there. Think, things are there. Things yes. Pe- people the, are there. The school I attended was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, I kid about the Midwest, lovingly, mostly. Uh, so there's not a, a ton of remarkable things <laughs> Midwest in general, but, uh, or, well, there is, there's Chicago, there's plenty of things, right? Yeah, there's plenty of things, but. <laughs> there is and there isn't. It's topography is not one of those things, right? Flat. Especially Indiana and that yeah. area. It's, yeah, it's pretty flat. Um, but at any rate, Purdue University has its roots in the Moral Land Grant College Act of 1862, which I did mention Interesting. a few days ago. Interesting timing yeah. for that. Uh-huh. Uh, legislation. Yes. So it was a piece of legislation signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln. So this is like... <laughs> during the Civil during War. During the Civil War, yes. <laughs> uh, and the act was, as is often happens, named after its congressional sponsor, Justin Smith Morrill of Vermont. It was probably a way to get... Because we did pick up... Uh, the Union did pick up Midwest states to fight with the Union. Mm-hmm. This was probably like a way to be like, hey... Like, you want some better education? Well, let's talk about what it was. So, Morrill was one of the founders of the Republican Party in 1855. Sure. Of course, we've mentioned they this were time the liberals and time then. again. Yes, we've mentioned time and time again <laughs> yes. the party system Don't in the U.S. Confused. has flip-flopped a trillion times. And at so. the same time, the Democrats, the Democratic Party did found the KKK. But if you want to find a KKK member who's a Democrat, go ahead. <laughs> today. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> You go search. I'm going to not do that. Yeah. So I wrote, so just keep in mind that while his party may be absolutely off the rails right now, no pun intended, I'm guessing it wasn't necessarily Morrill's goal to create a party that worshipped an unsuccessful businessman. Probably not. Morrill himself, though, was a businessman and a successful one at that. He ended up retiring at age 38. Pretty that's, good gig if you can get it. That's really good. I'd love to, that's, that's I'd good love at, to de- retire in December. <laughs> that's good at any point in, in history. Mm-hmm. You know, the 1500s, that's mm-hmm. good. You know, uh, yep. today, that's real. That's that's fucking rock solid. Yes, today. it is. Holy shit. <laughs> he was also a high school dropout. He left school at age 15. School choice. And all... <laughs> <laughs> I just here we imagine. go. Like here we go. Here the found, the, found, the foundation was laid. Just <laughs> nobody realized it. I imagine that was not that unusual back in the day. Mm-mm. Going to school was unusual. Yes, right. Back at that so time, this lack of formal education had the opposite effect on him. He greatly valued formal education, and he had a vision for quote 
opportunity in every state for a liberal and larger education to larger numbers, not merely to those destined to sedentary professions, but to those needing higher instruction for the world's business, for the industrial pursuits and professions of life, end quote. So the I founder mean, of came, the Republican Party. Kind of came Party, true. I mean, it really well, did. But, but think about this. The founder of the Republican Party right. wanted a liberal and larger yeah. education. Yeah. 160 years ago, yeah. And now they want to privatize <laughs> they, the entire now they, now they system. Want to, now they want mm-hmm. to burn it to the ground. Yes. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, they're just like yeah. they're just like the party of Lincoln. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you, it, oh, oh God, I was going to say something like in that they need to be shot in the head. Uh, no, that's <laughs> that's not where I was going. It's funny you were going there. That's usually where I go. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. It's just a joke, people. Okay. So basically, he was advocating higher education, not just for those who wanted to become what he called sedentary, like office jobs, basically, like the business jobs, right? Which, to a degree, exists at a great number at this time. This well, is sure, the, they're still businessmen. This is the beginning mm-hmm. of the Industrial Revolution as well, so you the need... The second Industrial Revolution, There's not yes. a computer mm-hmm. to put shit on. Yep. Every, everything needs to be on paper, right. hand-drawn. Yes, but he also wanted to extend education to those who wanted to enter industry, like farming sure. and manufacturing. And obviously that was becoming more important in, oh. in the now expanding global industrial he had, revolution. He had the vision of now we need to bring up the next generation to take it further. Mm-hmm. And, and so also, and so forth. given that the U.S. was still less than 100 years old at this time, oh. Lawmakers like Morrill saw the need for the federal government to step up to help keep the country and its workers competitive in the global market. Imagine that. That sounds like socialism. It's communism. Oh, that's true. It's communism, sir. Damn those commie bastards. It's an ism, and they're all bad. It is an ism. So is capitalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What the act actually did was allow the federal government to sell off millions of acres of land it owned. And when I say owned of course it was stolen well we did do the louisiana purchase somebody else stole that for us and then we just bought it that's not what they were selling oh okay i was again i'm trying to be nice to the united states i'm trying to be nice to the united states trying being the operative word it's stolen land it's fucking no we We live on stolen land we know that Yeah, yeah we know that okay then the proceeds of this massive land sale would be used to open colleges and universities. <laughs> to kill people that used to be on said stolen land. Well, <laughs> yeah, that That's focused where, on... Where part of it went. <laughs> that focused on educating students in agricultural, mechanical, and military arts. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. There were technically two land acts, one in 1862 and one in 1890, that included the former Confederate states, because the first act was in the middle of the Civil War. The sure. second act kind of included other states. Which, which the federal government didn't have any control over the... At the time. Confederate mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. It would be two different things. The 1890 act also required... Is that when Arizona came in? I have no 1890, idea. 1890? I have no idea. Anyway. I did not look at Sorry. the history yeah. of the yeah. states. You didn't look at the acts. Okay. <laughs> the 1890 Act also required states to establish colleges and universities for black students. Okay. Uh, because as we know, in ways, just after the Civil War was more progressive than like years later, <laughs> the Jim Crow era after that all kicked um, in. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's In a, ways, yeah. I'm saying, but. So, so this was the origin of several HBCUs, historical okay. black college and colleges and universities. So we have a couple of them here. 
Yeah, NC Central is a yeah, uh, an Shaw, HBCU. Shaw University is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was in North Carolina A and M. I think so, or A and T. Oh, it or, might be A and T, or both of them. Actually, I think I mentioned it. Yeah, A and T. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So together, the acts would go on to create a total of sixty-nine universities, almost all of which were public. The two exceptions were Cornell University and MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's very interesting. Isn't it? Among the states. I thought MIT was much older than that. Uh, Well, at least post 1862. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Among the state colleges were Texas Mm -hmm. Uh, A&M. They were then the Agricultural and Mechanical College of Texas. We covered that, yep, in the bonfire episode. The state universities of Ohio, Kansas, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Oregon, Arizona, oh, there you go, California, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Florida, and many more, our own North Carolina A&T State University, and, of course, Purdue, Purdue okay. University. For their... So, so mm-hmm. wait, the, the federal government made a major investment in education? Mm-hmm. Wow. How dare they? Yeah. What regressive politics. We don't need people. The to... Republican Party knows. <laughs> yeah. We don't need people thinking for no. themselves. The no. fuck were they doing? They're, what are they going to do? Create things? <laughs> uh, for their part, in 1865, the state of Indiana decided to establish their first land grant university in Lafayette, Indiana. Of course, I kid it. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere, but for more context, it's between. Indianapolis, which is in like pretty much smack in the middle of Indiana, I was say, yeah, and Chicago. Okay, yeah, but it's a little closer I, to Indy than Chicago. Yeah, I forget <clears throat> how close Chicago is to Indiana. Yes, at Gary, it's, Indiana it's, it's is part of Chicago's yeah, metro area. It's like literally right on top of it. Well, they're they're right. Yeah. So Chicago's on the very very east part. Yeah, northeast part by on Lake Michigan, and like Gary, Indiana is right over the. Yeah. The borders. It's like it's like, it's like a, Kentucky and Ohio are so close to each other in so many ways. Kentucky and Indiana are mm-hmm. also in the, in the southern part. Yeah. Yeah, that Midwestern. That, you, guys, you guys are weird. <laughs> um, in addition to the land grant money that was received to start this university, the planned school received a donation of fifty thousand dollars from Tippecanoe County, which is the county Lafayette is in. 100 acres. Love, love the name. Tippecanoe. <laughs> Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. Do you know that? Do you know oh. about that? Zachary Tyler's, uh, the president, mm-hmm. uh, his slogan for his election was Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I just know that. Yeah. I think it had something to do with, like, a battle or something. God knows. He was also the, first, the first son of a former president. Zachary. Is it Taylor or Tyler? Tyler. Zachary Tyler Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> or no, I'm thinking I'm thinking John Quincy Adams. I'm sorry. I have my presidents mixed up. You know, the Adams and the Tylers mixed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um uh so they also got 100 acres of land from local residents and $150,000 from its subsequent namesake, John Purdue. For context, 150,000 back then was around $2,725,500 today. Wow, I so, thought it'd be way more. Go, close to three million. Okay, mm-hmm. that's still pretty good. It is good. 
Purdue himself was a transplant from Pennsylvania. He was a school teacher in Ohio and Michigan for a bit, becoming a businessman with partner Moses Fowler in a general goods store. And as we learned in the Macy's episodes, general goods stores were like the, the stores At the time, of the yeah. day. Yeah. The Walmarts of the day. Uh, yeah, basically. He went on to invest in land in Lafayette, and eventually he and Fowler moved to Lafayette, opening a new dry goods business. The reason he, the county, and the residents chipped in so much for the new university was because they wanted to make a name for Tippecanoe County. That was other than just the cool name Tippecanoe. Purdue even upped his original donation from 50000 He tripled his donation. Wow. To make sure it, they got the school. His conditions were that the new school be in Lafayette. It's technically in Battleground, but it's part of the statistical area of West Lafayette. And that it be named after him. So they're like, sure. Sure, sure. When he died in 1876 at the age of 73, he was buried on campus where his remains remain. Oh, his remains remain. His remains remain. I thought that was cute. Um, it is. <laughs> On the school named after him. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, I mean, narcissism is just, a, that's a new phenomenon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> the cave men give were you, probably. I'll give you 50,000 if you name it after me and bury me there. And then he tripled it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I'm just going to guess he had an English accent, even though he's from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Ground was broken on the new Purdue University in 1871. The first buildings were completed within three years, including the boiler and gas house, none of which are still around. None of the original, original I, buildings are still around. I, I actually hope not. Now, some very <laughs> for, old ones for, are, but for not For building the code reasons. <laughs> Right. Uh, classes started in 1874 with six teachers and 39 students, with the first student graduating the next year. So some of Purdue's students got together in 1887 to start the school's first American football team. Sure. Wow. 1887. 1887. They go back that far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Their first game was on October 29th, 1887. When they lost to Butler College, now Butler University, so they in are, Indianapolis. They are 135 years old, yep. the football program. The football program is. That's crazy. Yep, and they they lost with a less than stellar end score of 48 to 6. That's Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. Um, understandably, the team took a couple years to play again. <laughs> in 1889, they played their neighbors immediately south, the private Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Purdue won, 18-4. Uh, whether because of just being sore losers or elitists or some combination of both, the Wabash students and fans were immediately not keen at all of Purdue and their football team. Local newspapers called the team, quote, a great big burly gang of corn huskers. And quote. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. yeah. Other characterizations, including comparing the players to rail splitters, Foundry molders and log holders, and I think that also probably I didn't look into it, but I my guess is that also, like I said, it speaks to some elitism. If this was also meant to be an agriculturally focused college, like and it was, this is like basically saying, oh, it's the blue collar, Yeah. yeah. And so here is a picture. I think this is the 1890 Purdue football team. (laughs) They're so jaunty. Yeah, they yeah. That's... Uh, except I have a question. What is this tiny child doing there? 
He looks like he's 12. Tiny child. No, he's not tiny, but he doesn't he look significantly younger? I mean, he, I mean, others? there are some young-looking 20-year-olds. That's probably just... That's that's what I Do was. Do you sympathize? Yes. I was going to say, you, you had a baby face. <laughs> so I guess I get it. I mean, he really does look 12. He was probably on special teams, too. <laughs> Just like I was. I love this guy. He looks like a beatnik from yeah, the 60s. He's, just he's like, just like he's lounging. Just, he's chilling. Well, I mean, these guys, they're having a great time. It's 1890. Who's not having a great time? Or 1890. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people that Yeah, but they're, they're having a good time. <laughs> they're all white, so yeah. yes, they're having a great they're time. They're at a university. Yeah. yeah they're at the university. <laughs> when Purdue visited Wabash again in 1891, they demolished them 44 to 0. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that anybody before 1900 is putting up 40 points in the mm-hmm. game. Like, I'm really, I'm like... There's no forward pass. I'm like, <laughs> right. Like, the other team must have literally been, like, five guys. Right. That played yeah. both positions, mm-hmm. or, or both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that drew further ire from those in Crawfordsville. Do you know what the team name of Purdue is before I go on They're the this? Boilermakers. All right, yeah. let's talk about why they're the Boilermakers. The local paper in Crawfordsville, the Daily Argus... Headlined the story about the game, quote, Slaughter of Innocents. Wabash snowed completely under by the burly boiler makers from Purdue. End quote. They were doing that that as a, well, they were, the boiler makers was meant to be like a, again, another dig at them for being like blue collar, big. Which I also love. It's like, your team is too big and burly. Yeah. You're too good. Imagine if a modern team was anywhere near them. <laughs> yeah. Like the the scrawniest player on any football team now would outsize any other. Oh, for be sure. Bigger and brawnier than any yeah. back in the 1800s. <laughs> so apparently, there were also accusations of this being literally true that the university recruited athletes who were actually boiler makers, meaning big guys, because it was very physical work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the university went on to embrace their intimidating reputation and adopted the moniker of the Boilermakers in 1892, yeah. which remains to this day. It's like you just roll with it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're the Boilermakers? Well, if you say so. Mm-hmm. You know? It sounds pretty badass. Yeah. You know? it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like a couple years ago the when the Hurricanes made the <clears throat> playoffs for the first time in 10 years. Bunch of jerks. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if that's what you're going to call us, then... Because we'll it's it. not like, no, this is the most proud fan base in the NHL. Yeah. That, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, if that's what you're going to call us, then that's what we'll be. We'll embrace it. We're yeah. a bunch of jerks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The school bought an 85,000-pound Schenectady number 1 locomotive engine as their mascot, which they named the Boilermaker Special. Okay. And here is a picture of the Boilermaker Special. Yeah, I was gonna say it was like it was an actual train. It was a literal like it, locomotive. Like yes, it wasn't uh-huh. a ma- it wasn't a mascot dressed as a train. No. <laughs> an eighty five thousand pound which, mascot, which is what it is now. <laughs> right? Is it really? Have you seen the yes, oh, yeah. the Boilermaker yeah. mascot? Okay, it's a fairly famous uh, college football okay. team. Like they, they, I mean, they've been around since eighteen eighty seven, which is nuts. Yeah. Of course, for the purposes of our story today, it's a bit ironic that their mascot is a train. train. Yes. In 1896, the Boilermakers joined the Big Ten. Which is still around today. Then called the Intercollegiate Conference of Faculty Representatives, the oldest Division I uh, college conference in the U.S. No kidding. It was actually even founded before the actual NCAA. I was just going Mm -hmm. to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Meanwhile, nearby Indiana University in Bloomington, which is southwest of Indianapolis, though older than Purdue as a university, was just getting its college football team going. The Indianapolis... They're like, this is getting trendy. Like, we, <laughs> yeah. We, we need uh-huh. one of these. The IU... What's their name? Uh, they're the Hoosiers. Yep. Yeah. Just, the... just like the movie. <clears throat> they're named after the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie that came out in 1896. Exactly. <laughs> I saw somebody like put that on a message board really? once like as a joke, and I'm like, that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> they're named after the movie. <laughs> The IU Hoosiers met the Boilermakers for the first time in 1891 when the Boilermakers shellacked the Hoosiers 60 to 0. Holy shit, yeah. By the way, do you know what the uh, biggest, most lopsided score in college and slash football history is? Mm-mm. 222 to what nothing. The- what? How is that a- physically possible? We can watch the video on it if you want. It's What year? Uh, like around this time. Okay. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Or like actually like 1910 like something like that did like people in, just start leaving because they're like this is just dumb at this point this is really pointless somebody stayed and <laughs> jotted down the final score <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the teams continued to meet regularly with purdue remaining dominant even with and i'd like to know how this is possible in 1894 they beat the hoosiers one to zero how do you get a single point I have seen a video on this too. Okay. There, there is a way, but it is highly involved. Is it like a very obscure thing? It's highly involved and like pretty much impossible. Mm. In Canada, now if we're going uh, by CFL rules, mm-hmm. on the Which we're not. on the we're not mm-hmm. <laughs> on the uh, on the kickoff, uh-huh. if you put it through the uprights, that's worth the point. Oh yeah, I think you've told me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe it was back. Th- I mean, at this point, that might have been. I mean, that might have been. Isn't the goalpost at the front of the? It is. Yeah. So that might have been why they had the point. <clears throat> could have been um because but, uh, we're still at a time where they're not sure if they want it to be its own sport or like a derivative of football right uh-huh right it, with the goal and the kicking there's a lot of kicking and running mm-hmm. there's not no passing. Pa- there's no uh-huh. passing mm-hmm. not at this time mm. no forward passing were they no. pitching at all? yeah they were doing that okay but yeah throwing it downfield was mm-hmm. you know, pussies <laughs> You want to score fast? (laughs) (laughs) But as the Hoosiers gained strength at the turn of the century and joined the Big Ten themselves, the tides turned as they beat the Boilermakers in 1899, 1900, and 1901. The tables were flipped. The turntable. Oh, my, how the turntables. Oh, my, how the turntables. Once again in 1902. (laughs) And by by 1903, the rivalry that remains to this day was a big draw for students from both schools. It's now called, like, the old wooden bucket or something. There's some shit, but that happened in the 20s, so I didn't know. It's like they built, like, the brand new furnace plant, but it was encased in, like, wood. (laughs) <laughs> what could go wrong yeah it's like i wonder if it burned down <laughs> so until 1903 the big game between the boilermakers and the hoosiers every year was hosted at one of the campuses right sure um and all but two of them were at purdue so purdue I... and, the, and there are people taking trains and riding horses to get from yes to get, to get from game to game yes that's correct but this year in 1903 they decided to hold the game at a neutral site Washington Park in Indianapolis, roughly halfway between and kind of a bit to the east of both schools. Because they're almost in line north to south, 
But then they're, they're trying to have like a, 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 a meet up, a meet up spot. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like like we'll we'll meet you on this turf. Yes. If you, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea was that maybe they could tamp down on potential hooliganism because it was a big rivalry. Yeah, it probably made it worse. So. Washington Park was a new stadium. It had been built in 1900. It was not constructed as a football field, but rather a baseball park, which was a much more popular sport at that this time oh, in U.S. Big history. Time. Big time. Uh, it was the home field of the Indianapolis Indians, okay. which was then an American League team. Within the, the, the uh, also the very first year of the American League. It was 1903. Okay. With the, within the brand new alliance of Major League Baseball, uh-huh. along with the National League. Now, the Indians are the... So, they're they're still around. The Indianapolis Indians, they're the Pittsburgh Pirates AAA affiliate. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, today, when a bunch of college students want to go to an away football game, they'll pack themselves into buses, or they can drive, or they can fly, right? Lots of options. This is 1903. No, taking a horse or a train. Automobiles or you're wa- were or you're walking automobiles around. Were around, but they were not. I mean, what college you're, students had a car? And you weren't like buses weren't invented yet, right? You, you could know, carry like, like what two people? Yeah. Maybe with some people sitting on the uh, back in like, a car. Hi, do you want to come to the middle of Lafayette in my automobile? In my Model T. You can put the glass down in the front. <laughs> there are no roads, but we'll be fine. <laughs> Again, um, everybody's British in 1903, even in America. Also, this is six weeks before the Wright brothers' first flight at Kitty Jesus Hawk. Christ. <laughs> Literally. But what we learned, I mean, but we learned, like, we had achieved flight, but just through um, uh, blimps. Right, right. Uh, I mean, aeroplanes. Personal, like, this is, like, mm-hmm. personal, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, the only real option to get to this game for either set of students was the dominant mode of transportation at the time, the train. Yeah, absolutely. Both Indiana and Purdue chartered trains to transport their teams and most of their student bodies. And their goods. And their supplies. Mm -hmm. Equipments and and all that stuff. Yeah. Purdue ended up with about 1,500 people coming to the game on these trains Including the university president. And that's when everybody, like, who's got a window seat is sticking their arm out of the train. Like, cheerio! Hello! Cheerio! (laughs) Good game, chap! (laughs) Why are they all British? Because it's 1903. No, they're all transatlantic. Why can't you do your transatlantic? Well, because it's it's just better to be British. The Boilermakers at that point were four and two in their season. It's not bad. So, yeah, so the student body was still excited about the season. Uh, how much do you think tickets were at the time? A dollar. Yes. Okay. Oh, do you, know did, how, you nailed it. Oh, it really? Okay. Do you know how much that is today? Um, well, you have uh, this. O3. I'm going to guess uh, $25? 34 Okay. Roughly. Okay. Roughly 34 That's not bad. No, it's not. That's especially not even bad for today. Especially considering how horrible today's prices are. not even bad for today. No. The... Uh, <laughs> Ticket prices did not just keep pace with inflation. No, I was going to say, no. (laughs) So to accomplish transporting so many people, 1,500 people, Purdue chartered two trains by the Big Four Railroad, which is the nickname for the Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, and St. Louis Railway. Yep. Yeah. And and before that, you had the corporations that were the big, like, those Big Four Railroads are included in the game of Monopoly. Ah! What, and that's like Reading, Pennsylvania, um... Man, I can't remember, but those were actual, like, real rail lines that were... Yeah. Yeah, anyway. So, as you can probably guess by the name, the railway operated within the Midwest, 
Um, and even though the name was not in the title, Indianapolis was a main hub. Because it's kind sure, of in the middle of, of everywhere in the yeah. Midwest, you know. It's probably why it got to be the city it got to be. Yeah, well, and Indianapolis has an extensive rail history yeah. because it was centrally located and flat, which is good for trains. That's part of the reason Raleigh got to be the place mm-hmm. that it got to be because mm-hmm. it was it, it was a... It was a stopping point between the mountains right. and the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, we still are. smack in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, we can build things here. Yep. So the trains that were chartered contained like a mishmash of available rail cars, including modern, at the time, steel cars, as well as good old-fashioned wooden coaches. Like wooden uh, yeah, rail I guess. cars. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, no, of course. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> The lead train carried 964 passengers, including 600 students, because there was like boosters and fans and other people, parents probably. It was comprised of an engine, a coal car, and 14 coach cars. And and let's face it, like in 1903, Mm -hmm. this is the greatest thing that's ever going to happen to your life. Yeah. Like like you've been milking cows Mm. for like fucking 18 years. Right. Now you're taking a train to the big city. big city. To go watch your... It might be as far as you to, travel. In to your life. literally watch two teams of people kill each other because yeah. people did die a lot. They're wearing back like then. leather helmets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm not even if kidding. If that, <laughs> uh, six years later, it was almost deemed illegal. Right, because of the well, because of the amount of deaths. Still should be in my opinion. Uh, no. Um. So the wooden <laughs> wee bit better technology now. <laughs> the wooden coaches were near the front of the train, so that's where the 17 players of the football team rode since they were the guests of honor, along with coaches and such. That train was driven by conductor Frank Johnson and engineer William Shoemaker. The second train carried the remaining passengers. They set off in the morning. They were trying to get to Indianapolis around 10 in the morning. It's not not a major trip, but these trains were known as specials. So that means trains that are not regularly scheduled timetable trains. It was a last second, like... Like a charter sure. or a, a, a there, it's a special. Sure. Well, like route. a charter is probably the best way to yeah. explain it. Like well, all, in this all case, of a, it's a charter. All of a sudden, like we need another train. Right. We've got there, all there's these a people. there's a special reason for the train. Mm-hmm. Um, now, since they didn't have a regular line, they ran with set timetables. Commun- communication was key to ensure everyone operating on the rail system knew. Okay, when are these specials coming in? Where are they going to be? And at what time? Right. Unfortunately for all involved. That is not what happened Mm. in this case. The Boilermaker special made its way into Indianapolis. As it reached the outskirts, (coughs) some passengers began getting ready to disembark. As far as everyone involved was concerned, there was nothing unusual about this plane, or plane, (laughs) train ride. (laughs) Another party dangerously unaware of the Boilermaker special's impending arrival at Indianapolis were a conductor named Akers and an engineer named Smith. I could not find their first names. They were pushing a coal train carrying seven, 800,000 pounds. Bye, Jesse. <laughs> or 36,000 kilogram coal cars back onto the track heading northwest near the Mill Street Powerhouse near 18th Street in downtown Indianapolis. Neither the Boilermaker Special nor the coal truck were traveling particularly fast. Fast, The Purdue train was traveling around 30 miles per hour or 48 kilometers per hour. The coal train was moving around 9 miles per hour or 14 kilometers per hour. Unfortunately for all, it would be Mm. fast enough. Mm. There was also a very unfortunate bend in the track near the powerhouse. Bye, Demetrius. (laughs) 
They never stay long. Nope. And then they just politely exit. Yes, they do. Just <laughs> they don't even have to beg. Uh, the Boilermaker special was chugging along as normal, approaching this bend, when suddenly William Shoemaker, the engineer, spotted the coal train rounding the bend, heading straight for their engine. Uh, Smith, on the coal train, also saw the Boilermaker about to hit them head on. They had been in each other's blind spot because of the bend, but also because there were boxcars and coal cars parked along the side of the rails, blocking their vision. So they couldn't see around the bend as a result. Shoemaker did his best to stop the train. uh, And his train was the faster of the two involved, obviously. He threw the train into reverse and braked. Um, Smith was also able to break the coal train. And with the collision clearly about to happen and like a split second from it all happening... All Shoemaker and the conductor, Frank Johnson, could do at that point was save themselves after their attempt to stop the train. So they literally jumped jumped out. out. Uh Uh-huh. They saved their lives as a result. They saved their own lives as a result. Now, but they also, like, did the right thing by trying to stop the train. They only ditched it the last, last second. There was nothing else they could do. it's like they can still help after it's all. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I hope is what they both do, which I'm sure it is. So the two trains collided. The cars that fared the worst were, logically, the wooden ones at the Mm -hmm. front of the team. They just frickin'. Yep, witnesses watched the first coach, the one carrying the Boilermakers football Mm. team, decimated into a bundle of wooden splinters and iron that witnesses said they saw shoot straight into the air before falling down on the tracks. I doubt that. Mm -hmm. The second car, which was carrying the marching band and other students... Uh, detached from its frame and fell down an embankment into a gravel pit. Terrifyingly, the third car was launched over the engine and the coal cars and landed on one of the cars on the side of the track. Jeez. Um, these three cars were the ones hardest hit. The remaining cars actually all remained upright. Some did derail, but they stayed upright. Those at the very back of the train, like, felt a little jolt, and that was it. Nothing. They were fine. Um, and they were initially just like, oh, well, did we come to a stop? What's going on? Like, it, initially, they had no idea what was going on. But as soon as everybody became aware of the situation, they rushed to the aid of their fellow staff members and students. And this being 1903, photography is fully mm-hmm. around. Here's some pictures. Jesus Christ. Like, <clears throat> I've got a couple others here. Yeah. Yeah, that looks like a uh, mm-hmm. like a straight up train derailment. Mm-hmm. I, Beyond I, a derailment, I, and I don't even like... know. Like with nineteen oh three technology, here's what I always wonder: because mm-hmm. train derailments in nineteen oh three are nothing new; they happen yeah, all the time. I would certainly not think so. How in the technological times? Because mm-hmm. you don't have diggers and things like that, and how do you clean this up? By hand? I mean, what on, other... Like, uh, load things on ho- buggies? Yeah, I mean, what other... Yeah, by hand? Yeah, you're not using, like, cranes or... Not nope. cranes, but, you know, I mean, like, yeah. You're not using anything gasoline-powered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that that's, that's fucked up. I know. And even, like, you can tell the time period by, like, the clothes everybody's wearing. Yep. Waist coats and mm-hmm. dresses and, and top all hats. that. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Like that picture on the top, like mm-hmm. you can see how twisted everything is yes. up here. A lot of, yeah. And to think that that happened with a train traveling 30 miles per hour and a train traveling nine Doesn't miles per hour. Doesn't take much. No. Especially with wooden cars. No. Yeah. Huh. So help arrived in the form of horses with buggies. Again, we're in 1903. The injured were loaded into the buggies to be carted off to the hospital. Um, I think there was something, like, oh, there was at least over 40 people injured who had sure. to be treated. yeah. Fortunately, some quick thinkers at the scene ran up the track behind the Boilermaker specials to signal and stop the next train, the next special that was coming down the track that didn't know what was ahead, because otherwise they could have then... Slammed right into the yes, back. and of, causing, a, like, ten times the carnage, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 17... But that was also probably like standard mm-hmm. protocol back then. I mean, really. Well, uh, well, from what I read, this was like they they. It was remarkable that they thought. Oh, this really? Was okay. That's right. what I read. Interesting. Um, seventeen people were declared dead at the scene, including mm. fourteen of the seventeen players on the Purdue Boilermakers rosters. Um, over <laughs> put over zero others were injured. That's clearly not correct. I think it was over forty. <laughs> Um, another player who was badly injured died a month later on November 30th, though at that time, the death toll remained at 17 due to one particularly wild story. One of the players declared dead at the scene was team captain's duty body president, Harry Leslie. When he was transported to the morgue, the mortician was especially shocked to find that Harry had a faint pulse. He was still oh alive. God. They rushed him to the hospital where he remained like in very touch and go condition for weeks, had to go on, undergo multiple surgeries. He had a fractured jaw, broken leg, um, but Survi- he did recover. Survived a train crash. He did that they Which, thought he was dead from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he he was disabled for the rest of his life. He required the use of a cane. He went back to school the next year. He would go on to graduate from law school. Serve in the Indiana legislature where he helped fight off the KKK in Indiana. Nice. And he eventually served as the 33rd governor of Indiana. Very good. Oh, Harry Leslie. Well, the, the KKK thing come, came Yeah, full right? <laughs> <clears throat> a class of medical students uh, were called to local city hospital to assist sure. in tending to the injured. While waiting in the hallway for instruct- instructors, paramedics, or sort of their equivalent back then, passed by the um, the students with a body on a stretcher. One of those students there was Frank Truitt, and he saw the man on the stretcher, and he said, that's my brother. Jeez. It was his brother Samuel Truitt, a freshman in the Boilermaker's backup quarterback. So hmm. he, he saw his dead brother at that point. Mm-hmm. In addition to the 14 players, uh, one of the other victims was the team's assistant coach. Um, and I read, I think, a, a booster was one of the other people who died, and then I wasn't, I couldn't find out who the other person was. So. The rest of Purdue's football season was canceled. They didn't have a team, for one thing. True. Um, and, of course, that included the game that they were going to, the big game against IU. Indiana students and faculty showed solidarity with Purdue in the wake of the tragedy, calling the Purdue football team, quote, honorable and friendly rivals, not our enemies, end quote. Future matches between the teams to the this present day have all been played on one of the home fields. No more neutral sites. Mm-hmm. This is what happened the last time that. Yeah. 
The accident was investigated by Harry Tootweiler, the Indianapolis coroner. His report was issued within two weeks. Uh, Tootweiler lay the blame for the crash on the chief dispatcher of the Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, and St. Louis Railway, Bert Byers, who worked in Kankakee, Illinois, south of Chicago, but who himself was from Lafayette, or okay. lived in Lafayette. The findings surprised many that it was just this guy, especially given that the report also mentioned the fact that both train engineers were exceeding the speed limit at the time of the crash. Okay. In this, Within Indianapolis, they were only supposed to both be going at four miles per hour. 30 yeah, is a lot that's over four. way more. <laughs> Even nine is over nine four. Nine is you twice know? <laughs> as much. A little over twice yeah. as much. They were going eight times as much. Yeah. Just about the... Yeah. yeah. However, Tootweiler concluded that the Boilermaker Special was traveling... Um, at that speed to try and keep the timetable given to them by big four dispatchers. And they were running late, so they saw more pressure. There was more pressure on them to keep chugging along quickly, which just reminds me of, um, get a peep, keep on pushing on because you know they're running late with our love. Where would you be now? Na, na, na. It's like what? The yeah. so Doobie Brothers, yeah, you've heard me do that yeah, song today. Yeah. <sighs> Tudweiler's reasoning for the blame laying in the communication uh, required of a special train. So specials were supposed to be given, or at least generally given the right of way, according to Big Four Railway rules. And the tracks were supposed to be cleared ahead of time for them. And there were a couple of ways to do this. One was to put signals on whatever the regularly scheduled train was right before the special that would indicate, hey, there's a special behind me. Clear the tracks. So that Mm -hmm. was one option. Uh, the other would be to communicate. Now, I don't know if they did that via, I imagine, telegraph at this point. Probably. I don't think radio, really. No, no. Not no yeah, three, right? kind of exists. Yeah, it's, it's telegraph. Bra- it's, it's brand new, brand new. Telegraph has been around for a mm-hmm. while, so that's probably how. Yes. Yeah. So they they a- were... Literally AT&T. Yeah, uh, American Telephone and Telegraph, or Telegraph mm-hmm. and Telephone. Maybe Tele- telephones, too, because telephones were around then, right? No, that's what I was just saying. Like they, it was like just invented yeah. at this time. Um, like five people knew knew how to use one in the world. Uh, so so the the other thing would be to call each other basically or telegraph each other along the route. All of the yardmasters to be like, here's the timetables for these specials that are coming through. And then they relay the message down the line, so each station master and yardmaster could make sure that they cleared the tracks when the special was expected. But Tootweiler concluded that Byers, who was responsible for doing that, had only notified one station master at Union Station in Indianapolis down the line from the wreck. Though criminal charges were never brought against Byers, his career obviously did suffer from the findings. According to his father, Byers himself also suffered. His father quoted him in a local newspaper as having said, quote, Father, if I knew I was to blame for that awful thing, I would not want to live longer. End quote. So. Jeez. William Shoemaker was let go from the big four, the engineer, and Frank Johnson quit before he could be fired and went somewhere else, went to another hmm. line. A couple of general trivia things I find quite ironic about this disaster. First, as I mentioned before, the Purdue mascot was a train called the Boilermaker Special, and a Boilermaker Special killed 17 people, or crashed w- with them. Uh, and second... The disaster took place on October 31st, 1903, 
John Perdue was born on October 31st, 1802, exactly 101 years earlier. In 1909, Memorial Gymnasium, which is now called Felix Haas Hall, was built to honor the victims of the crash. The gym has 17 steps out front to memorialize the victims. Oh, okay. For the 100th anniversary of the disaster in 2003, the tunnel the Purdue Boilermaker football team passes through at their home stadium for games was dedicated to the victims. No kidding. And that, my friends, is the story of the Purdue wreck. Okay. Nice and short and sweet this week. Yeah, it's yeah. a compact story. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean... If we if we go back to this era, mm-hmm. there are so many train wrecks. Yes, I mean, there are... that's correct. This is nowhere near Indiana's biggest train wreck. I was just going to say, yeah, it probably, probably isn't. No, yeah. I, I saw it was something like 86 or 93 people or something like that died in a train wreck in Indiana. There were multiple bad And that was just in Indiana. Yeah, that's just in the state. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, talk about life being like completely different. I know. It's hard to even really imagine. It's hard to grasp a little bit. Mm -hmm. But like remnants of that era still exist. Yes. We we still have trains. The tracks are still there for goodness sake. Right. Yeah. So we still have similar lines. Mm -hmm. Obviously not. Everything everything now is interstate and cars, and so it's not the right. first mode of transportation. Well, and freight is mostly what's going on. Pretty much. I mean, there's Amtrak yeah. and stuff. There, there are is. passenger trains, but it's largely freight at yeah, this point. You're, you're getting in your car to mm-hmm. go somewhere. The Illinois Central and the Southern Central Freight. You gotta be, keep on pushing my mind, cause you know they're running late. I, I, well, the pistons keep on churning, and the wheels go round and round, and the steel rails run cold and hot on the mountains, they go down. I've never lived in the Midwest, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived so in the Northeast and the here. Southeast. There are so many trains here in There Hawaii. are, yeah. Like, I, I remember thinking that when I moved here, because it's not as big as Miami. <laughs> Miami's no. not a hub for interstate traffic. Well, unless you're talking about it's cocaine a traffic. destination. Yeah. Well, there you go. It, 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 I, a, lot, a lot of boating traffic. I said interstate, not yes, international. That's true. That's a whole other thing. A lot, lot, of, lot of boats, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> boats and biplanes. Mm-hmm. Not biplanes. <laughs> Those are old. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, boats and... Um, Cessnas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trains, not so much. So fortunately, you are not traveling to the I'm Bills not. game in a train, and we just won't talk about airplanes. Yeah, I guess not. It, because it, statistically, you will be just fine. Yeah, I'll be, yeah, I'm not really. I'm just excited. Yeah, I know you're very excited about the game so. and to eat some Kansas City barbecue. Excited for that too. Yeah. Yes. Did Did Brandon pick out a restaurant? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. <clears throat> and we he picked out the. Uh, Again, the the Bills Backers Bar mm-hmm. we're gonna go to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's gonna be a fucking shit show. <laughs> a good shit show. Or a good a bad one. Shit no, it'll be a good one. No, we're okay. older now. I was gonna say. If it wasn't, if, if, if we were still in our twenties, it would be like a shit show, shit show. Remember that at this point in your life, if you drink too much and or eat too much, you will just sleep yeah or just pass out yeah and then you will miss any fun to be had no no it's i'm going to eat healthy this weekend come you don't eat healthy ever yeah exactly i'm gonna eat a healthy barbecue 
But anyway, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it, and it'll uh, turn out better than this. You got it, that it going for definitely you. Definitely <laughs> will. Definitely will. And uh, I'll put pictures on the uh, yeah the know, discussion I, group. And I, I, I do that just because I know there are football fans that listen yeah. to us. And just to be like, hey, this is what it's like to be at one of these stadiums. I will also say good on the listeners who hang with us in the sports disasters when they have no interest in sports. Because there are plenty of our listeners who do not care about that sports. That is true. And also listeners who do not care about beer. So yep. those are the people who are damn loyal because yeah. <laughs> it's like half so of what we talk about. If you're listening to this episode, which mm-hmm. involves heavily involves beer and sports, mm. then good on you. You're a better person <laughs> than me. I would have tuned out a long time ago. <laughs> but anywho, that was the Purdue Rec. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.